0: to part two of our exciting edition of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. You're back to hear the conclusion of our coverage of the 17th annual Frigid Fringe Festival presented by Frigid New York. The festival is running February 15th through March 5th at the Crane Theater and under St. Mark's. And we have another amazing group of writers and performers to bring to you. Joining us, we have Vitan Profchev who is the producer and performer of Test. Connor Mullen, the writer-performer of As You Will. Brooke McCarthy, the writer-performer of How to Be an Ethical Slut. Kazo Kusano, the writer-performer of Pretty Beast. Claire Ayubi, the writer-performer of The Guy No Kid. Ingrid Garner, the writer-performer of Eleanor's Story, an American girl in Hitler's Germany, and Seema Shukla, the writer performer of Blind Spot. Everybody, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hello. Thanks so for happy.
1: having us. Thank Woo! you. Hello.
0: Hi. Hi. I am over the moon to have another group of amazing authors, performers, just all around great people. And I can't wait to hear your stories. Our first group was amazing, and I'm sure this is going to be even better. And so I want to kick things off by asking all of you to tell us a little bit about your show. And I'd like to kick things off with uh, Vitan, if I could.
2: So our play test is written and directed by the prominent Bulgarian poet, author, playwright, and dramaturge Elin Rachnev. And it was awarded with an ESCARE award in 2011, which is the highest award for dramaturgical merit. It's equivalent to winning a Pulitzer's prize award here. Test is a play about the struggle of keeping one's identity while being forced to fit into society's parameters. The great question that the play provokes is what and who is damaged when trying to follow society's norms. So without giving too much away, the company is this ubiquitous power in the society slash world of the play, where Anton, my character, is a young man and he attends his first job interview to join this infamous corporate giant. His expectations completely fall short of what the company is. His worldview is just turned upside down. And so I leave your listeners with this one last question. Does Anton have the willpower to escape or is the company's grasp on him too strong? So we encourage people to come and see how it all unfolds.
0: Ooh, I love the hook. (laughs) Connor, what about your show, As You Will?
3: Yes, so As You Will is an unscripted Shakespeare show. Um, At the start of the evening, we get a suggestion from some member of the audience of a title of a Shakespeare play that does not exist. Then, over the course of the next 45 minutes, we perform for the first time. And the last time, that Shakespeare play in its entirety. In the past, we have performed such diverse titles as uh, Eight Merry Spiders, Midwinter's Nightmare, 1601 A Space Odyssey, and many other things like that. We do so, and we do these performances complete with the themes, language, and verse of William Shakespeare. So much of the performance is improvised in iambic pentameter. We offer a guarantee of at least one full improvised sonnet per performance, but there may be more depending on how much we force each other into performing Mm -hmm. Shakespeare. It's a very good time, and the show you see will be the only performance of that show for all of human history. Uh, I'll also mention briefly that at this point we've had more performances than there are actual Shakespeare plays, so we're actually more prolific Shakespeare writers than William Shakespeare himself. (laughs) (laughs)
1: i love that so hard
0: (laughs)
3: amazing
0: Rook mccarthy can you tell us a little bit about how to be an ethical slut
4: i will tell you all the things (laughs) so uh yeah so how to be an ethical slut it is a one woman musical comedy set as a cabaret that i wrote myself and so what i'd like to do is i invite you to experience the ride of your life as an unethical slut named Lake Valentini struggles between dating the socially acceptable way through monogamy or daring to open her mind to unusual relationship pleasures and tribulations. This is a bold and sexy and very vulnerable story. And it touches on topics that are often not really seen on stage like sexual health and non-conventional relationship styles like polyamory and even swinging. And everyone, including you, and Blake might learn a thing or two about honesty and sexuality throughout this wild ride. So come to the show.
0: <laughs> Love it, Kazu Kosano, Why don't you tell us about Pretty Beast?
5: Hey, what's up, everybody? All <laughs> fine? Hey, so hi, I'm Kazu, and my show is called Pretty Beast, and it's a solo dramedy about family dysfunction, mental illness and societal sexism and what it means to discover your own superpower yay so uh this you know this japanese girl growing up with schizophrenic mom and alcoholic dad in japan and she learned to use comedy to heal her wounds and process her trauma ah so sad but then in school because you know me Uh, was frequently considered as a class clown like you guys probably and um, identify you know it's, it's an identity at odds with Japanese societal norms for women and girls you know girls shouldn't be funny at the time in my country and but despite the odds comedy became my own superpower like a modern shield and it was my freedom I mean ticket to freedom so that's that's my blurb thank you so much (laughs) I love it oh my gosh
0: Claire Ayubi you've got the gyno kid tell us about that
1: absolutely first of all I'm just so excited to see all these shows (laughs) um I'm Claire Ayub I am a filmmaker and writer I came up through comedy and live comedy and theater. And for me, I am working on a pilot that's about my childhood as the child of gynecologists and it's called open wide. And I was working on it and I was laughing so hard, just remembering all the stories from my childhood, which as the child of small town gynecologists, where your parents are actually up in everybody's business. So I had this idea to tell a storytelling show, which is just a love letter to my parents. And just about how weird it is during the different stages of your life when you really understand what your parents do, how you already feel mortified at all times being an adolescent, only to have your school nurse be like, your dad gives me my birth control. To, you know, oh. as you get older, realizing that all these people came to talk to you about your parents because they made a real difference in their lives. So it's it's really a joy. And for me, as someone who, you know, it'll take a long time to make a TV show, just like it took a long time to make my first movie, Empire Waste. You know, I was like, theater, being able to present this to people and share the story of my parents now made me so excited. So I'm very excited to be part of the Frigid Festival with the Gyno Kid.
0: Amazing. Ingrid Garner, you have Eleanor's story, An American Girl in Hitler's Germany. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
6: Yeah. And by the way, again, yeah, what a wonderful crew of people we have here. I'm so, so thrilled to to be successful with them. So my my show is a a true story. It's adapted from my grandmother's memoir, which came out in 1999. And uh, it details her time as an American who became caught at the epicenter of World War II in Berlin for the entirety of the war and survived. Essentially, her, her parents were offered a job. They boarded the ship August 28, 1939, and a few days into the voyage, Hitler declared war, and by the time they arrived, they were enemy aliens in a strange, strange country, and it's a wild story, and my grandmother has always sort of dreamed of me doing the show in New York, because that's essentially where it begins and ends. They departed from the New York Harbor and came back and saw the Statue of Liberty, so I'm I'm so thrilled to do it, and and unfortunately, it it just feels like the show becomes more relevant each year. (laughs) which seems like the opposite. We're nearly 80 years out from the start of that war and crisis abounds worldwide. And this is the story of
0: every civilian, every child in every war and their very universal experience. Amazing. And rounding us out, we've got Seema Shukla, who is the writer-performer of Blind Spots. Tell us a little bit about your show.
7: Exciting hearing about everybody's Shows before I speak. So my show, it's about blind spots. It's about a psychiatrist in training. She's just finished medical school and entered into training, at which point people call you doctor. You can say to people, hey, I'm a psychiatrist. And there's this aura surrounding that, you know, being a doctor, being a psychiatrist. And then there's the juxtaposition of the reality, which is that no one knows what they're doing. And it's like you suddenly get therapy patients and then you're giving therapy to people as as you learn what you're doing. And so the psychiatrist is really challenged by patient care, which is so different than what the character faces in medical school which is all textbook and and exams. So now this is real life. And then there is this overlap between professional life and patients and personal life.
0: So as you can hear, there is a myriad of stories going on here. There's something for everyone. And I wanna dive a little deeper now, and I wanna find out from these amazing performers, what has it been like developing these stories. And I want to start with Ingrid on this question. Well,
6: it's, it's been quite a few years out. I think we're almost coming up on the 10 year anniversary of me doing, of creating the show. And it was a very hectic process. I did it as sort of my unofficial senior project at university. And so it was like the busiest three months of my life, but I managed to, from beginning and end, do that last semester and, and put it up as my senior project. It was really and it was very very cathartic. and I was really wanting to become a part of the industry but I, I just really didn't feel like I had the gumption to go at an audition in LA every day and face that rejection and I really felt like I had a story to to contribute to the world and I just happened to be you know the granddaughter of this subject and it's a very popular book and I just felt like it would be very interesting for an audience to see the actual granddaughter the living blood of this history to bring it to life that hasn't happened so you know very much in, in the history of the world so i thought it'd be a very unique opportunity
0: to how about you
5: so i am a stand-up comedian and i live in l.a and you know since i started doing stand-up i always wanted to write about my mom uh who was schizophrenic and uh, I wanted to do my, you know, a solo show, theater show, and I wanted to write a dramatic comedy because my goal was to make people laugh, but at the same time, I wanted to make people cry at the same time because, you know, I'm a, I'm a sadist, you know, and uh, so. But I didn't know how to start, and uh, there was this theater festival in LA in 2019 called crazy walk asian solo festival so i joined and so and i had to write something and then i wrote this show in two months and it was at the beginning it was all stand-up comedy all stand-up comedy but then there was some bit about my mom and my friend said i want to hear more about this and so then i started writing more and more and it became this solo dramedy you know uh, show You know, but I had been writing about my mom and my family uh, 10 years prior to 2019. So I already had some materials there here, but uh, basically it was like, I don't know, interesting uh, journey. (laughs) So that's how I did it. It was very chaotic. Yeah.
0: Wow. Seema, what
7: about you? What has it been like developing
0: blind spots?
5: It's been
7: an arduous process. So I went to medical school and I went through training to be a psychiatrist. I'm a psychiatrist. And throughout my residency for four years, I was writing a ton. And I didn't know exactly why I was writing, but I knew I had to write. And I have been going through so many old notebooks and trying to compose it, and and I was scared that it, it wasn't going to come together as a composition. But it's it's been really cool working with it, and hard, but uh, it's come together. I think.
0: Brooke, what has it been like developing uh, your show, How to Be an Ethical
4: Slot? Yeah. So first, off, I just want to say it's really really cool to hear. All of these compelling moments that everyone's sharing of just like that moment when you're like this is what i have to do this is what i have to write and so that moment for me happened while i was actually well i guess it was two moments uh, the first inspiration was when i was in a queer theater history class in grad school and i was going through all these stories and at this point i was processing a past non-monogamous relationship of mine and i'm looking at all these queer stories and throughout history and I'm just like where's the poly people like where is my people and so i was very inspired by the bravery i mean going back in history when people were you know telling stories that was were basically illegal that they shouldn't have been doing and just their bravery and so then fast forward to the moment when i realized for my graduate thesis that i knew that i had to write my story and so it was really just i i wanted to talk about this it was like a 3 year period of my life that I felt was interesting and dramatically appealing but also just wanted to use that to inspire other people who are poly to to really be able to own themselves. And so then I spent I started developing it in August of 2020 and I had to put on my production in November. So I had 4 months to write it and originally produce it. And so it was wild. I mean I was in my apartment writing down like the plot points from my personal life that I wanted to include, but then also like blasting, like, like musical theater m- music and jazz music and talking to myself as I'm like typing. And, and it's been a wild journey. And since then I've been touring it a lot in 2022 and, and it's, it's been pretty rewarding so far, but yeah, it's been a wild ride.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Claire, what's it been like developing the gyno Kid?
1: It's been a freaking blast, if I'm very honest. I'm having so much fun. I, I already, so my last two projects were fictional, but based on, you know, my life. So Empire Waste is about body image and Open Wide is about basically normalizing, talking about bodies with kids. It's based on the true story of how my mom took over our middle school health program. And so for the gyno kid, like the reason I wanted to tell it and why I'm having so much fun developing it, it's it basically... The stories we've been telling around our table for years, like decades, like the stories that were like iconic from our childhoods, the stories of like what made us who we are and just realizing how much joy that's brought us over the years and how you know, things that we thought were normal, like having statues of like pregnant women in our house that like my pa- dad's and mom's patients like were artists and like gave it like that. A lot of people didn't have that and they didn't have a knitted uterus with one of your baby dolls in it. Like that my mom used for Lama's class, you know, that's not normal. And that I think of everything in trimesters, right? So like, it's looking at that and being able to share something about how I see the world and that now I do comedy for a living it's like you can either go into therapy or comedy and like not to brag but I did both so like it's really exciting and for me as someone who's on my computer all day you know writing scripts and and I love I'm a director as well like I love writing all the parts for different shows doing a solo show again it's gonna be my first solo show in about nine years since I've gotten on stage to perform and I've missed performing like that's one of the reasons I love directing I love working with my actors, I love energy, you know, figuring out how to do something differently. And so just being able to like get up and like dance around my kitchen and like work out bits has been so much fun for me. And just like mental health wise, like a real treat. So yeah, I've been having a
2: blast developing and I cannot wait to share it with everyone.
0: Vatan, tell us about developing tests.
2: So, I mean, it was a very, you know, serendipitous experience. I mean, firstly, since it was COVID, our director, Elin he suggested the idea to direct my mother, who's also in the show, and I over Skype. And so we were rehearsing in our living room while having Elin on Skype on our computer propped up right in front of us, which is a very unique experience. I've never done that before. Secondly, the role of Madame Company that my mother plays in the show was initially written for a man. And so Elin, that also happens to be the playwright. He spent a lot of time rewriting the role so that it could be made fit to, you know, like for a woman to play it. And lastly, Test is actually originally written in Bulgarian. So we performed it in Bulgarian first, which was a huge challenge for me. And then I was commissioned to translate it um, into English in 2021. And since April 2022, we've been performing it in English. And so it was just a very unique undertaking of just being directed through Skype and then having the experience to rehearse and perform this play in two different languages and to see how different the same show, the same play looks and sounds to our audience members in two different languages. So it was a very unique experience. Wow
0: rounding us out on this question we bring in connor with as you will what has it been like developing this interesting piece of theater
3: yeah well strictly speaking the development of a performance starts when we get the title at the beginning of the show and ends when the curtain goes down at the very end but we've been working on learning how to do that for at this point about 11 years we first sort of came upon the idea of doing this Back in about uh 2012. And when we were very interested in the idea of using improvisational theater as a means of like telling stories through pre-existing forms. So we'd seen there are there are a variety of these that exist. We've seen like Star Trek improv shows or Jane Austen improv shows and things like that. Um, and there are even some other Shakespeare improv shows existing out there. And we we sort of said like because we love Shakespeare we thought can we take the form of Shakespeare and transform it into this bottomless well of ways of putting these pieces together to tell stories and there's sort of the three pieces of it are building out the sort of shape of the show itself our show always has two stories in it that eventually come together in some way and we sort of like learned how to each other together and work off of each other in order to make sure that we're guiding the story along actively in the performance well. The other part of it is, of course, sort of the Shakespearean language and the Shakespearean tropes, I should say, that we fit into that as well. We've been digging into how to speak off the cuff in iambic pentameter for years and working on it. Uh, We teach workshops on that now at this point to a whole bunch of different people. Performing the show itself is a lot like, I guess, sort of falling off of a diving board in that we have all this technique that we've done beforehand where it's like, you're standing there and you think, I'm pretty sure I know how to do these three flips and then land. But once you drop, it's just a matter of applying that technique and hoping that it all goes according to
0: Is there a message or thought that you're hoping that audiences will walk away with from your show? And Claire, I actually want to start with you on that one.
1: Sure. I think I talk about this a lot, that things that we think are embarrassing, no one really cares as much as we do. And it shouldn't let that stop you or make you make yourself small. There's no real need. That's why for me, like I love talking about how, being the child of gynecologists and that weird, like our dinner table conversation is disgusting, right? By any other account for other people, but for us, it's normal. So like your normal is like part of your superpower, right? So for me, I can talk to anybody about anything. It's very hard to shake me. Not saying I'm unshakable. I'm totally shakable. But like, you know, looking at that, you know, what are your superpowers? And for me, that comes from this really cringeworthy adolescence and realizing that, it really wasn't that weird. And I was focusing on feeling different instead of realizing what, who my parents were and kind of how I was raised by them in such a beautiful way.
0: Kazoo, how about
5: you? So uh, there are, you know, so many things like I want to say, but uh, I actually, I want to leave it, you know, keep it open for like, uh, you know, I want to rely on my audience. But one thing I, you know, want to say is maybe like uh, when, they leave the theater then i want them to leave theater with hope and uh like a good feeling oh i feel good i don't know why i can't explain but i feel good and and also with sense of humor so maybe like a life is not bad you know but uh i feel good and that's yeah connor what about you
3: I would say we we sort of have two groups of people who will attend the show. There are people who love Shakespeare and people who don't really have a strong opinion about Shakespeare. For people who love Shakespeare, I want them to walk away from the show having experienced something new in the world of Shakespeare, maybe for the first time in years of their life. To know that there's like, they get to have something new and experience something for the first time in that world is something that's hard to have when your playwright has been dead for hundreds of years. And then on the flip side, when we have people who, you know, aren't as entrenched into the world of Shakespeare, I want them to walk away feeling a sense of joy and fun that they've experienced, had that they've laughed, that they've seen us tripping over each other and found fun in the world of Shakespeare. Something that I think for many people is Inaccessible or complicated or archaic to have it brought down to earth and be fun and exciting and adventurous for them for the first time.
0: Steema, is there a message or thought you'd
7: like your audience to leave with? So, to be succinct as possible, I want people to leave with this uh, heightened recognition of uh, the daily tension between what we say and what we do, how we act, and then what's going on in our minds. And I want people to feel some sense of levity and um, forgiveness about just how much we contradict ourselves in how we live and how people we love contradict themselves. Ingrid, what about you? Well, I think
6: the is I, I think the audience, particularly an American audience, we, we as Americans don't ever experience, we haven't really experienced conflict on, on our soil. The American perspective of war is from a very outside perspective. And I think my grandmother's story is unique because while it's it's an American living in Germany, as an American, she's sort of giving us an American perspective of what war is like. It's sort of a, a gateway. and. Uh, we tend to think that you know it can never happen here it could never happen to us we have a certain security about that but you know this american child went through a, a world war and um and survived it and ultimately it is it is a very hopeful story a, a really tremendous testament to the human spirit and um and I think it gives a very interesting view of day-to-day and wartime. And, you know, we, we think it's all doom and gloom. And, and, and it certainly is. It's a very difficult experience. It's terrifying. It's a world of terror, and contrast. But also, humans find ways to joke in a war. What's it like to come of age in a war? What's it like to get your period in a war? What's it like to go through these, these milestones of growing up in conflict? And it's, it's a, again, a very universal experience uh, every child in every war goes through. So ultimately, I think that's what I want audiences to come away with. This is a, an intimate view of what it's like to come of age in
0: conflict. Rook, throwing it up to you, is there a message or thought yeah. you'd like your audiences to leave with?
4: I know I will have done my job as a theater artist when my audience walks away thinking and reflecting and talking about their own life and their own relationships. And whether that's just thinking about how can I be a better person, a better partner or a better friend and and it really doesn't matter like yeah my show how to be an ethical sluts flashy title about polyamory swinging and like wild sexy fun things but. You know, no matter how you identify I want people to be able to own themselves and their relationships and so if you can reflect on well, how can i be more honest how can i be more transparent how can i muster up the courage to have tough and sometimes awkward conversations about my sexual health about my relationship preferences or sexual preferences and how can i make sure i'm doing that safely so at the end of the day like that might be a hard conversation but we're going to grow as people for ourselves and with our partners or with our friends and so yeah i just hope everybody can reflect on being a little bit better <laughs> Yeah, a little more ethical.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Vitan, let's talk about TEST. Is there a message or thought you'd like your audiences to walk away with?
2: So TEST has many messages embedded in it. It is a very satirical and philosophical play that really makes you question your views in life. But I believe, we believe, that our, like the main message is that one cannot try to be everything for everyone and yet still be true to themselves. One needs to listen to their heart and pave their own path in life rather than following what everyone else tells them to do. At the same time, I'm sure that every person that is in our audience will walk away with many more messages that are embedded in our play, but that's the main message, we believe. I love that.
0: Wrapping up this first part of the interview, I kind of have a rapid fire question I want to ask you all, which is who do you hope have access to your show? And Seema, can I start with you on that one?
7: Yes. So, it's a hard question. I guess the most concrete answer uh, anybody who is in uh, they have they have some relation to medicine or the field of medicine or psychiatry or psychology. But the truth is, I don't know how relatable the show is because it's it's my first time ever doing this. And I think anyone who has any interest whatsoever should come. And that would be wonderful. Rook,
0: what about you?
4: Yeah, so I hope that anyone who wants to be in a relationship, who is in a relationship, who plans to be, friendship, whatever, if you're interacting with people who you love on in any form, I hope that those are the people who come to see the show.
0: Kazoo?
5: Uh, yeah, uh, mainly three groups. Like, uh, one is someone like me, other one is women, and another one is immigrants. So uh, someone like me means, like, who has experienced, you know, their family or, loved ones mental illness, and whose life was or has been influenced by that event. And, you know, who overcome came or want to overcome the challenges. So that's the first group. And second one is women who are coping with sexism all over the world. And uh, plus, the first generation of immigrants or their kids or, you know, perhaps, uh, Asians, but, um, you know, my show is open for everybody.
0: Vatan, how about you?
2: I mean, our show does not have a specific target audience. So I would really like absolutely everyone to have access to this show. But if I would have to think on it a bit harder, I would like more young adults to come and see the show because another theme that is discussed in this play is about the battle between pragmatism and choosing a life path or a career that has risk associated to it. And in recent years, I've seen a lot of young adults, a lot of you know, my friends, who have given up on their desire to pursue something in the arts, music, you know, singing or otherwise, due to this stronghold of pragmatism that we have in our society to choose a career that promises security and comfort from the get-go and really avoids risk. So I would just like more young adults to come and see our show. Yes.
6: Ingrid, what about you? I would also love Young Adults to see my show because I'm, I've been hearing uh, a lot lately around the world that Holocaust and World War II education is being cut from the curriculum, which is stunning to me. But this is a war that no matter where I go, have gone in the world, everyone is still connected to through a parent or grandparent and now great-grandparents. And it's been significant to war survivors. They, they feel very seen by the story, but also people... That are children of war survivors. They feel often these stories go unsaid, and they feel very connected, even post mortem, to relatives that were have gone through war by hearing this story. And it's it's, it's something that they you know, wish they would have been able to ask about when their their parents were alive and and grandparents. So uh, I think this is truly a story for everyone and everywhere in the world. We this is a, a war that has affected all of our lives and societies
0: and economies. Connor, how about you?
3: Send your teens to my show. <laughs> Statistically speaking, if you're in high school, you've probably been exposed to Shakespeare in the worst possible way in an English class without any performance element. And I got to get in there and show you that Shakespeare can be fun. And it's not just things you don't understand being read by older people reading them poorly. And I can say that because I'm an English teacher. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and finally, Claire, who do you hope have access? I'm just still
1: laughing at, send me your teens. Uh, I love it. I For me, it's really anyone who's felt embarrassed by their parents, but also- ooh, especially people who didn't have a space where they could talk openly about bodies and you know these things that were normal for me because that's how I rebelled I was like I'm gonna be the prudest person you've ever met so if that was you growing up you will see yourself in this show and also have a great time
0: Give our audience now a chance to get to know you a little bit better and your experience in the theater. And I want to ask you all, what shows composers or playwrights in the past have inspired you or are some of your favorites? And Brooke, I'd like to start with you on this one.
4: Awesome. Yeah. So inspiration is weird for me because I'm really terrible at remembering, I don't know, famous or even just relevant people's names, but the things that people really, the the things that really stick out was Fleabag by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So I was able to see her solo show streamed from the national theater at the start of 20. Yeah. It was so good, Claire. I see you. (laughs) I got to see it uh, at the start and of 2020 summer anyway. And so that just the way that she structured her solo show um, and just that she's a little bit rebellious in the subject matter she talks about was very inspiring. And then um, just jazz music from Frank Sinatra, Peggy Lee, and then big recognizable musicals, which I've turned into parody songs in my show, but like Think Wicked, Frozen, Hairspray, like those kinds of recognizable things that anybody in the audience can recognize, (laughs) but that anyone can just sort of like bop along and think, oh, I know this. And then lastly, it would be pop divas who are just baddies, you know, who they just don't give a crap about <laughs> what they do, what people think of them, and they're just owning themselves. And so that would be, you know, Billie Eilish for me. So that's kind of a lot of where my inspiration comes from, especially for this show, particularly.
0: Ingrid, what about you?
6: Oh, gosh. I feel that it, uh, people might make it an impression. From me that I'm like a method dramatic actor and that's sort of I'm inspired by you know like the great dramatists but all my friends are like French trained clowns when I look around and uh, I feel like that's my that's I'm a shadow clown I'm sort of like that's my my inner comedian but I uh, so even though my show is dramatic in nature I do think it's important to have moments of levity and I really do try to put those in and be a bit goofy. I think that kind of comes out and, you know, I'm playing my grandmother. She, she's, this is age nine to 16. So I think there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of levity in that. She's sort of, you know, naive to the gravity of the situation. So I'm very inspired by comedians and clowns and also just other solo performers. I mean, that was how I came to make this show. I fell in love with Fringe at the Winnipeg Fringe in 20. 2013 and uh, I was so inspired by the very personal work that I saw there. When you meet someone at fringe, it's sort of like meeting them heart first. You're you basically see someone show they've exposed their entire soul to you. And then it makes kind of the friendships more intense. You're just like, Oh, I know who you are ultimately and you know who I am ultimately. So that's really who I'm inspired by other
0: fringe artists. Connor. Yeah. Tell us about your inspiration,
3: you know, in I think it was 2015, 2015, I saw a production of Midsummer Night's Dream at the Pearl Theater, rest in peace, the Pearl Theater, directed by a guy named Eric Tucker that was, I think, five performers in a wearing jumpsuits in a pit of sand, and they did the whole of Midsummer Night's Dream. And watching that incredibly minimalist production, which was probably one of the best pieces of theater I've ever seen in my life. Certainly one of the best Shakespeare plays I've ever seen in my life. I I learned watching that, that all you really need to make theater are bodies, voices, and ensemble, community. And I've tried to take that philosophy in all the theater that I've directed since then, um, and in As You Will as well, that all we really need is to sort of work hard and work together and great art will exist, um, no matter what it is we're working on.
0: Uh, Throwing it up to
7: Seema. Thank you. It's so interesting to hear the answers. So my first thought was also Fleabag. I saw a recording of the performance and it was brilliantly heartbreaking and hilarious. And um, that's what I want to channel ideally in life and in the show. The other one is there's this thing called the viewpoint. In college, I did a lot of viewpoints. I was very lucky to be part of this performance collective, and I, I, I'm I'm very moved by the basic elements of how we move and the speed at which we move and and varying those things and then our relationship to things and other people in space, etc. And that's something that's inspired me when thinking about watching and making theater.
0: Yeah, shout out to Anne Bogart and Viewpoints. Love it. <laughs> Vatan, tell us about your inspiration.
2: I'm kind of a classics kind of person. I love Tennessee Williams, Oscar Wilde, Peter Brook, and Chekhov. However, in the last, in the past four years, my mother wrote a Bulgarian play called Song of Cicadas, and I was commissioned by the Canada Council for the Arts to translate it into English, and then I got to be the co-producer and the assistant director on it. And I was just honestly thoroughly inspired by the sheer tenacity and perseverance of a 60-plus-year-old woman, being my mom, having the guts to write a play about her life in such an engaging way, and then having to see her perform it on stage, which was absolutely fantastic. And that really really inspired me to really believe that age is nothing but a number. And lastly, I would say our our director, Elin, he's also a poet in Bulgaria, and he wrote a poetry collection called Zelda, which was very similar to Sylvia Plath's poetry. It touches upon topics of suicide, death, major depression, unrequited love, and in general i just love plays songs books that are philosophically and psychologically deep so that's my answer claire what inspires you
1: oh man i am a physical comedy and farce kid like i grew up loving noises off you know like no coward like for me seeing people just really putting themselves out there physically mixed with I love stand up comedy like I don't do it I'm just like a witness to it which I love so like Joe Firestone and Aparna Nancherla are two of my favorite stand ups to watch and just seeing how they hold the space and really go into things that could seem so mundane but are so funny and like looking at especially idiosyncrasies and and, and you know phobias and all these different things that we have so the, that between that kind of Physical comedy and farce and stand-up, I just love the combination of the two when it comes to theater Um, and just seeing people be brave. I think that for me, seeing people step out and just be in their power and similar to what Connor was saying, you know, bare bones in terms of what you have around you, really allowing your body to be kind of your method of,
0: of connecting with your audience. And finally, Kazoo, what inspires you?
5: you know growing up in japan i was uh inspired by this uh japanese comedians a lot of them and uh the one of them called uh, D- drifters, uh drifters and they were like a five men and um you know uh physical they they did it like a physical comedy musical comedy and dick jokes on on the prime time national tv and uh, they did a live a uh, comedy show like Saturday Night Live, but they did in theater for a one hour show for 16 years, every Saturday night. Wow. And that was so great. And I was obsessed. And um, so I was inspired by them and, you know, doing live comedy show and but also as a one person show, you know, there are this uh, classic uh, masterpiece of John Leguizamo's uh, freak. And course uh, also- whoopi goldberg used to do one woman show you know young people probably see her as a tv host but yeah but anyway so those like um the people who influenced on me and um like a recent show is like i love hannah gatsby's um pieces especially like uh, i mean i like uh, her art and um it's it's a great they are great pieces and i saw her douglas in la Uh, before pandemic and it was great yay
0: we've arrived at my favorite question to ask guests and i can't wait to hear all of your answers and the question is what is your favorite theater memory and brooke i'd like to start with you
5: wonderful
4: so this is a no-brainer for me and i don't care how basic i sound but i will (laughs) never forget the moment when i was around 12 years old and i was sitting at wicked on Broadway. And Bow went up to sing defying gravity. And I was like, this is it. I'm done doing theater for the rest of my life. And that is that is the moment.
7: Seema, <laughs> can I can I bounce to you now? Yeah. So I had a personal memory come up. And so My first association is when I was auditioning for a high school theater play. It was a murder mystery. And the way auditions worked was that everybody auditioning was in the audience and you didn't know what you're going to be asked to read. And I was asked to read the old man of the murder mystery who has a lot of money and who's murdered and I was a shy kid who really liked theater and I just remember not knowing what I was going to be asked to do and there was something about that that allowed me to get out of my head and I got on stage and I just was a very ridiculous old grumpy man and I surprised myself and I wasn't trying to be funny and I think my favorite moment was just hearing... The audience laugh <laughs> who were my peers and you know the theater teacher and and then how that fed me being more ridiculous and how I loved theater forever. Kazoo, how about you?
5: Well it, it was a live comedy show called Joki Oki. I don't know if you ever heard of it but this is like uh, you know the contestants it's like a game show and the contestants um instead of singing a song we do all the famous comedians famous bit and then like the impersonate or whatever and then i did a sam kenyon song i don't know if you know him but he's a he was a white guy american and who shout and yell at on the stage like a crazy mad person and they assigned me and i you know i have an accent and i'm like a tiny little asian girl and who is shouting and cursing you know a lot like a fuck and whatever and they were laughing and at the beginning I thought I don't want to do this you know because they're making fun of my accent and then I shouted a lot at the rehearsal so I got a popped eye vessel and my eye was so red and it looked so creepy but then and I dragged myself to the show next day and I did my best and then there was um it was like a part of San Francisco Sketch Festival. And then there was a Robin Williams in the audience, watching this show, I didn't know that and he was laughing like crazy in the backseat. Like he was like, this whole time when I was performing and I was. it was a crazy experience for me. But um, I don't know, that was something ridiculous that I didn't want to do it. But I did it. And I was able to chat with Robin Williams after that. And I don't know, that was crazy, but that was my moment.
0: Vatan, how about you? What is your favorite theater memory?
2: Oh, this is a tough question. <laughs> um, if, you, <laughs> if you asked me four years ago, it would probably be like playing MC in cabaret in grade 12 in my arts high school. However, however, my favorite theater memory now is in 2019 and 2019 is just a significant year for me because that is when I decided to get back to theater and acting after a two year break after I graduated theater school in 2017. And that's when I decided to really, truly, fully devote my heart and soul to it. And that year I entered this theater organization here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada called Reflection Theater. And we did a play called Three Men in One Margarita. I played the lead role. And it was by a playwright by the name of Lisa Shapova, and we did three performances in Toronto. We went on a tour: Detroit, Quebec City, Montreal. It was just something so new, you know, for me. And I was just so touched by the audience that, you know, obviously gave us all like lots of praise. But they came up to me because they knew my struggles in acting, and they really encouraged me to continue pursuing. You know, like my dream, and then someone surprised me by um, showing me a few Bulgarian, actually, newspapers here in, you know, like in our community um, in Canada that wrote about my role and my performance in it. And then I cried. And then the director really enjoyed what I did. And so yeah, and so it just everything just really changed from then on. So yeah, 2019.
0: Claire, what is your favorite theater memory?
1: like, but on
2: so many to choose from, but I, my favorite
1: one, I still think about all the time was a sketch show. I wrote, I put up at UCB way back. It was a sketch show called I'm really good at flirting and other lies I tell myself. And there was a sketch where I was on a first date with a guy and I disappear to go to the bathroom. And then I come back really quickly and I was like, never mind And he's like, why, why? And I was like, here's a long line. He's like, wait in it. And then I basically go and let you think I'm pooping. And then we just look away from each other for a really long time to like let that sink in. And it's my favorite memory because the audience went, they were so surprised that it went there. But also it's like this real fear that so many people have. Like you don't want to let people know you have any bodily functions. But what I'm proudest of is that even though we were both facing in different directions in this like basement of a Gristides, basically, we were facing in different directions. You could tell we were both like, just thinking, I won't break if you don't break. Do you know what I mean? So we were looking in different directions. We we're looking, uh-huh. trying not to see the audience who is cracking up, and we didn't break. And we came back, and he's like, "I would have not have thought that," you know. And just it's like the whole rest of the sketch. But that is my favorite theater memory of just that camaraderie, but also you know having written this thing that hit so hard. But also just me and my scene partner being like, "I got you. I got you. This is a <laughs> bonker." <laughs>
0: Connor, what is your favorite theater memory?
3: There are so many to choose from, but when I was in college during my senior year, I went to the, the theater department and I pitched to them that I wanted to produce a 24 hour play festival where all the plays, a bunch of short plays would be written over the course of a span of 24 hours and then performed at the end of that. And they didn't want to do that. They thought it was a terrible idea. I You know pushed them to let me do it to the point that they agreed we will do it when the festival was announced in like the big sort of theater company meeting in the main stage theater the 600 seat main stage theater the head of the department said and connor's doing a 24-hour play festival i don't know much about it i just know that it won't happen in this building (laughs) and kind of joking but also like he really didn't want it to be happen like in the building and I shouted from where I was sitting, "We'll see." And over the course of the entire semester, I like, you know, begged and pleaded from various people to like get various resources. I got the tech, the the technical director of the theater on board with everything that I was doing. And to the point where, All that later, we did the 24 hour play festival and the performance was in that 600 seat theater where I'd been told it would not be. And walking on stage to introduce the show, having like worked with, I think over 60 different people in various roles over the course of the day, walking on stage to the entire theater full of people from the college who had been there is the best, my best theater memory of all time. Mm.
0: Ingrid, bringing us home, what is your favorite theater memory?
8: Well, yeah, it's so difficult to pick. I feel like most of my favorite theater memories are not involving theater and more about being on tour, like sharing a hostel with a freak show performer who left his bloody doll on his bed all the time, or being in a venue that was a former brothel, the owner of which was like busted in the largest largest drug bust in like West Australian history. But I, I'll give a sweet one, which is my first tour in Australia. I went and saw this clown named Ben Target. and he did a really great like prop show, where it was like a, a bunch of visual gags. And I loved it so much I wanted to go see it again. And the first time I saw it was a sold out crowd, like sixty people. The second time I went, it was just me and a 60 year old couple. And um, he started the show the same way, but then he completely shifted gears. He stripped off his outfit and he had on like a soccer, like referee uniform underneath. And he had all of us clear out all the chairs in the venue. And he had like a whole thing of ball pit balls. And he he had us just like kicking them everywhere. And then he said, we need to make teams. And he had us uh, huddle up and he, he like put colored paint underneath our eyes and he uh, he told us we need to like make like little team flags for each of our teams. And he asked us what our favorite ice cream was. And we all sat on the floor drawing our, our team flags. And he, he ran off for like, and this isn't an hour show. He ran off for like 15 minutes. We didn't know where he was. We're just like looking at each other. He came back, he'd bought our favorite ice creams and he told us to you know, tell us what was on our flags and what it all meant. And then we played a game of soccer and it was just so delightful. And I really, you know, for him to just completely make a new show that we had nothing to, of which, you know, was similar to the first show. And when I realized, you know, he gave us an hour of playtime and I thought this is the magic of fringe, you know, we don't need to follow these same guidelines of like shows where we don't break the fourth wall like this is just as valuable and entertaining as any other traditional play I've ever seen in fact more so I prefer this I'd rather go see a clown show you know <laughs> so that's my favorite theater memory I think
0: it's amazing but that leads me to one of my <laughs> final questions which is what projects or productions do you all have coming on the pipeline uh, Vatan, why don't I start with you on that
2: are there are projects that we have uh, I mean for now, we're just focused on test right now, uh, you know, like for the future. In our theater organization, Reflection Theater, we're doing another play that will hopefully go on tour, and we're going to be hopefully invited in Bulgaria to perform at this huge French Festival in Bulgaria, so that'll be interesting. But, like, for more information about our play, your listeners can go to my link tree if they're interested, which is linktree forward slash V as in Victor dot I dot T as in Tom dot A dot N. And they will find at the top link, then directing them to our press release, our press kits, and also our Instagrams for any future productions that we're doing in English. And, um, And then they can also go on the Frigid New York website to type in test in the search bar for ticket purchases and so on. So yeah.
0: Perfect. Claire, what projects or productions do you have coming on the pipeline?
1: Oh man. So waiting to hear back from festivals. I have making my feature film writing and directing debut with a film Empire Waste, which is about a group of teens learning to love their bodies through fashion design. An incredible casting crew. So waiting to hear back from festivals for that. And then if you want to be part of live readings in the future for Open Wide, my TV pilot, I love testing. Speaking of tests, I love. Uh, I did 17 live readings for uh, Empire Waste, my movie during development, and I love it's bringing the live theater into the filmmaking process. So if you're interested in that, you can just go to my website claireaube.com, and I'm Claire Aube on Instagram
4: too.
0: Brooke, what about you?
4: Yeah. So my focus has pretty much been on how to be an ethical slut. And so I'm actually heading to Austin, Texas in a couple days to perform in Frontera Fest. So I'm very excited. And then obviously I'll be returning back to do Frigid at the end of February. And then I am starting the research process for the next show that I'm going to be writing, which the working title and probably the real title is going to be Gaslighting the Musical. So... (laughs) I'm gonna start writing that. Uh and yeah, that's it's gonna be wild and hopefully it'll also be funny and heartbreaking. But that's what you've got for me. And if you want to follow my ethical slut journey, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at how to be an ethical slut. And then you can also find tons of information on the Slutty website, which is www.howtobeanethicalslut.com. So yeah, (laughs) stay Slutty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ingrid, productions and projects coming down the pipeline for you?
8: Well, if if folks are interested in seeing this show, Eleanor's Story, besides New York, I'll be doing it in Montreal, uh, Winnipeg, and Edmonton, those fringes so far. But I've for a couple of years been developing a new show that's completely different a little bit more up my alley i'm a little bit sick of doing world war ii for 10 years just because you know it's a bit of a downer <laughs> but something more morbid uh so i'm doing a, a, a biographical show about vampyra who is the original horror hostess in the 1950s and she's really a trailblazer and, and kind of influences every facet of our culture but no one knows who she is and i think it's really her time to enter the zeitgeist and and uh, not be overshadowed by Elvira, who she sued for stealing her act. Unfairly, but still. Um, and you can find uh, uh, information about my show at EleanorStory.com, and uh, I'm across the social medias at Eleanor Story.
5: Kazoo, what about you? So my show, Pretty Beast, uh, you can get the information uh, on my website, which is kazukusano.com. It's K-A-Z-U-K-U-S-A-N-O. And also, you can sign up on my mailing list, and also uh, linktree slash Kazukusano. and also the New York site. And so my project is uh, I'm focusing on my show Pretty Beast right now. So I'm uh, doing a Fringe New cringe and I'm ho- hoping to do solo tour uh, on the west coast of America this year. And I'm also going back to Winnipeg Fringe in summer and maybe doing Edmonton. And uh, but also I am writing a new show, which is a one-person variety show about the satire of Asian women overly sexualized and sometimes murdered in the world. So um yeah, it's a lot of like a gag and also physical comedy, but that also serious monologue and that kind of thing. But I hadn't finished, so I'm hoping to do that show in September. I, I'm hoping. Yeah, so yay.
0: Uh, Seema, what about you?
7: So I am very focused on the current show and interested in developing it further. And really digging into this idea of the institution of medicine. And then there's also the institution of psychiatry. And what does it mean to have this identity of being a physician? And what's sort of, you know, allowed to say, what are you allowed to say versus what are you saying in your head? So I'm really at the beginning of this project now. And I have a couple other things in my mind. I have this very long history of dating in New York City. And I have, for whatever reason, just like I had to write in residency, I had to take screenshots of all the text message exchanges I've had on dating apps and then actual text messaging. And it, it's like all the relationships that didn't work out. And I know I want to do something with that. And I know there's, that's brewing. So in the future, as far as reaching me or um, learning more about the show, The Frigid Site, and shukla at gmail.com.
0: And finally, <laughs> running us out, Connor. What projects do you have or uh, productions you have coming down the uh, pipeline that we can plug?
3: You people with your other projects. It's wild. It's wild. When do you sleep? Right, right now the big focus for the big focus for me is um, on getting, as you will, ready to go for Frigid coming up. So you can come and see us there. Beyond that, we will we go where the wind takes us. So reach out if you're interested. We're available to come to your educational institutions as well and get your get your students excited about Shakespeare. You can find us um, on social media at As You Will Shakespeare on Facebook, and then on TikTok and Instagram we're Improv As You Will. The TikTok content is great. You can also look me up specifically if you found my voice and stories to be enticing and fun. I'm at www.connordmullen.com. You can learn about me there or reach out to me. Sign me up for your spam mailing list.
0: Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining me, for sticking around long. This has been amazing. The stories you all have have been amazing. I, I wish you all the success and I can't wait to see all of these live. For all of our listeners out there, make sure you get your tickets to see all of these great stories at the Frigid Fringe. Today, we've been speaking with Vitan Profchef, who is the producer and performer of Test, Connor Mullen, who is the writer-performer of As You Will, Brooke McCarthy, who is the writer-performer of How To Be An Ethical Slut, Kazoo Kasano, who is the writer-performer of Pretty Beast, Claire Ayubi, who is the writer-performer of The Gyno Kid, Ingrid Garner, the writer-performer of Eleanor's Story, An American Girl in Hitler's Germany, and Seema Shukla, who is the writer-performer of Blind Spots. And we have all of their contact information, website, all of that, and it's going to be posted in the episode description as well as in our social media. And you can see all of these amazing shows and stories at the 17th Annual Frigid Fringe Festival presented by Frigid NYC. February 15th through March 5th at the Crane Theater and under St. Marks. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez.
8: Reminding you to
1: turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and
2: keep talking about the theater.
0: In a stage whisper.
2: Thank you.
7: If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at StageWhisperPod.
5: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray.